Hey everyone, Alan Smithson, host of the XR for Business podcast. Today we're speaking with Aravind Upadhyaya, co-founder and CEO of 8Chili, an Oakland, California-based startup bringing the dream of telesurgery to the real world. Today we're going to talk about how virtual reality is improving the outlook for remote surgeries globally. All that and more coming up next on the XR for Business podcast. I want to welcome Aravind. Thank you so much for joining me on the call. Thanks, Alan. Uh, it's a real pleasure to uh, be on your podcast and uh, you know to get to know you as well. It's such an honor. You guys are working on something that is a true game changer for surgeries and remote telemedicine. Maybe just tell us what you're doing and the problem you're solving. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, just to give you a quick intro. So I'm a technologist, so I'm an electronics engineer. I've spent the last two decades uh, leading R&D uh, projects in mixed reality, computer vision, Internet of Things, and robotics uh, at uh, one of India's largest conglomerates, the Tata Group. And uh, in 2016, uh, I had my Tony Stark moment uh, when I had the HoloLens. Uh, you know, it kind of felt like I could like have the power of X-rays in my eyes, and and that's when the journey started uh, for A Chili. Uh, so we've been working on this technology with surgeons for the last two years, uh, uh, kind of like in stealth mode. And uh, this year, JPM, we formally kicked it off. In a nutshell, we want to reimagine surgeries uh, with mixed reality by building a remote collaboration platform. I want to start with this, like 60% of new residents uh, universally are not confident to perform core procedures. And just about 3% of the surgeons globally have access to high quality continuous training. Um, and, and why is that? And, and that's because we have a very legacy training system. Uh, so there's a great adage that goes like, I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. And that's why we are building Navix Air, uh, because experience cannot be explained. So you have to experience to really get to be an expert. And Navix Air allows residents to experience what a surgeon does in a surgery. So with, with this, what we want to do is take the platform to a very immersive collaborative experience. Now, Navix Air is a platform that allows residents to transport into the surgeon's eyes and follow their steps simultaneously in the virtual world without disturbing the surgeon. So let's say you can wear and repeat as many times as you want, even post the live surgery. And, and the big difference is being able to see what the surgeon sees brings this feel of reality into the residence. And, and that's what is missing in the cadavers uh, or the existing VR simulators. Because what's, what happens is, no surgery uh, goes smoothly or perfectly. There are complications. There are like surprises that, that happen, like you know, the surgeons encounter. And these cannot be captured. So it's the surgeon's experience that come into play uh, when something is not going as they expect it to go. And, and this feel of like, you know, how to react in such a situation, like let's say, what does a surgeon do what is the communication that they use to like talk to the nurse, the anesthesiologist, or the other juniors who are helping the surgeon? 
or what kind of uh, technique, like, you know, like let's say if there is a, a bleed, which was unexpected, how do they go about like tackling that? So all these things are like uh, scenarios that only happen in the real world. So there's no substitute for it. That, that makes a lot of sense. So when, when a surgeon is operating, when these things pop up, you know, it's almost impossible to train for every scenario, but you can record it. Absolutely. So we allow them to like log in, you know, like, like let's say if there's a portal uh, and if you are a surgeon, Alan, let's say if you put on our uh, headband and it's non-intrusive, so it allows you to like do your standard procedure the way you've been doing it all this time. And I, as a resident, can then see what your eyes see in full 3D. Like we transfer the entire 3D scene that you're seeing and close to real time, like let's say we have like uh, a half a second delay right now, which we are trying to reduce it to like almost near zero latency. Uh, but even with the half a second delay, it's unnoticeable, uh, you know, for a junior. And then I can actually see what you're doing and repeat the same steps that you're doing simultaneously with the virtual tools I have. That's incredible. So over the, the course of a surgical residence time, how much time would they actually get normally to stand over and, and watch surgeries? So we have a, a proxy research that goes like 48% of the programs like right now report fragmented training and duty hour restrictions that impact skill acquisition. So that's one of the leading uh, issues as in like why the residents are not confident in performing core procedures. So they would like to put in, like every resident starts like put, you know, like, like doing practical trials by the second year. And let's say if you take neurosurgery, for example, like they do five years of residency and then two years of specialization in neurosurgery. So they have to like put in like at least like more than 100 to 200 cases, like 200 cases is like the, is like, is like the minimum that they would need to like become an expert in a specific neurosurgical speciality and uh, that's too less like you know that's the minimum but with with our technology we could like enable them to like learn not just from from the surgeons that they are you know in the university or like you know the teaching hospital but they could like learn from expert surgeons all over the world at any time they want to as well if you think about it we put pilots through thousands of hours of practice before we let them fly a plane with a bunch of people in it but surgeons it's in the hundreds of hours because of the complexity. You're allowing surgeons to have the same kind of level of training as pilots. <laughs> I think I want the surgeon who's had thousands of hours of training versus hundreds. That's just me personally. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, like, like this, this industry is so neglected, right? Like the surgical training industry, like we have like great tools for everything else, like navigation, like, like robotics and, and everything. But if you look at training, right, like it's still so archaic. You have, when you stand in the operating room, uh, a resident stands in the operating room, there is really no space next to the surgeon because it's a live case and the surgeon is in charge. So he's the captain. And there's a nurse who's like next to the surgeon and then there are tools. So there is literally no space and the surgeon is not going to be like, hey, you know what? Come and stand and see how I see things. No, it doesn't happen. So it's passive learning most of the times. And when they go to cadavers, again, it's like you don't really get to have the experience of the variety. That's the use case that we are trying to target. When we do remote surgical training, especially in live cases, we allow our platform to be tested 
rigorously and and that will allow us to like then port it to the bigger concept of remote surgeries itself so the ultimate goal is re remote surgeries altogether yeah absolutely this is where the, the the telcos go ooh 5g we need we need 5g in there to reduce the uh, the latency because uh, latency would be the biggest problem with remote surgeries that i can see uh, <laughs> a couple milliseconds difference and you're <laughs> you're a millimeter to the left or a millimeter to the right Absolutely. I mean, like it's the it's our biggest uh, bottleneck, I would say, to like realize the dream of remote surgeries. And I think probably for any other company who's working on remote collaboration, I think this is the the biggest bottleneck right now. Everything else could be worked around, but uh, not this. Well, the the good thing is there's a lot of people working on the space. So let me ask you, with the 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 what you're working on now, where in the life cycle of the product are you guys now? Are you uh, in trials? Are you in, in market? Where are you now? So currently we are in trials. Uh, and so we have used uh, on phantoms. We have worked with phantoms so far. Uh, what we have, because a part of our surgical training also includes uh, surgical navigation, I should say. So, so I could, I will share a video, like, you know, like, like post this call so that you could like see what I'm really talking about. So this is what happens like with the existing because you know vr simulators right like you are able to use the tools that are available like say for example orthopedic surgery like let's say knee total knee uh, replacement then you have all the tools you have all the assets and everything and then you go about uh, performing step by step what a, what a surgeon usually does now in our case because we are doing a live transmission so okay fine you're able to see what the surgeon is doing you know most of the the patient is draped so you're able to see what area the surgeon is working on all good but that also means the part wherein like uh, the surgeon has access to like let's say image guidance tools we won't be able to like show that on a video uh, because if the surgeon is looking at a screen and he's doing navigation uh, that's not going to be really that effective for a resident to learn. So what we do is uh, along with, uh, there's one extra step, like before starting the surgery, the, the surgeon has to do a co-registration, basically a process whereby the preoperative scans of the patient are registered with the patient organ. And what this is allowing us to do is the surgeon won't be using it, the one who's performing the surgery. He's going to do it in the conventional way, you know, they're going to do the surgery. But we're going to use that data to superimpose these virtual assets, like what other, others call it. In our case, basically, let's say if it's a neurosurgery and if I have a scan, CT scan, I can extract the skull of the patient. I can extract the brain of the patient from the MRI. I can extract, like, let's say the, the gray matter, white matter, and, and you know, the TTI fibers, like the, the tractographic visualization, all of this data, which can be superimposed onto the patient. So even though the resident is seeing whatever the surgeon is seeing, he has this extra powerful feature that he can now instantly overlay onto the patient in the, in the like with super accuracy. And then what happens is he has control to like reduce the opacity and then see in detail anatomy like what the what is the approach the surgeon is following, what nerves. The surgeon is avoiding that's the kind of detail that we are talking about so we create like virtual assets on the fly by taking the patient scans so we've done that part like we've tried that with surgeons uh, we have a deployment coming up uh, with uh, our advisor and investor dr anthony abelino uh, he's the provost at university of michigan hospital 
so we're getting this deployed. The COVID is delaying stuff for us, but I think we're still on track to deploy by October. It's amazing that you said University of Michigan because there's a lot of work going on at the University of Michigan. Uh, Jeremy Nelson is kind of spearheading the the university's mixed reality uh, center. So they've got a, over 20 uh, HoloLens is there. Uh, yeah. They've been working in mixed reality for a few years now. I know um, everybody is really excited about that there. We, we actually took a tour of their virtual reality lab. And it's interesting how a university took on this idea of mixed reality and then did a challenge to all the different divisions of the school and said, hey, how do you think you could use this technology, come up with some ideas, and we'll build it for you? That is a really interesting uh, use case. And the fact that you guys are working with them is wonderful. So I am yeah. assuming you're going to be on Jeremy's podcast at some time soon. <laughs> well, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> you're speaking to an audience here on, on this podcast. What is something that you would want to tell them to check out? Who are you looking for as far as customers and how do they get in touch with you? Oh, they can uh, get in touch with me uh, via my email or uh, hello at hchili.com. Uh, you know, we have a team, a dedicated team that looks at all emails and get back. Uh, so we're happy to do demos. Just so everybody knows, it's number eight, chili, C-H-I-L-I.com. Number eight, chili.com. Yeah, thank you. All right. Where did you, where did you come up with that name? I got to ask. <laughs> Thanks. Like I was waiting for you to ask that question. <laughs> so, so we were looking for a, a name that would not have a conflict of interest with any other company that's doing augmentation or like something like that. So we failed like for the first 24 hours and then we were, the team was hungry. We ordered like super hot Indian spicy pizzas. And, you know, out of joke, I was like, Hey, you know what we guys should, we are trying to spice up this navigation industry. Right. So we should call it, call ourselves the chili company. So the team goes like, oh, that's awesome. I mean, like, you know, we should go for it. <laughs> so eight is basically infinity. So we have more Marvel inspired teams. So, you know, our logo is like, you know, coming from Deadpool, like, you know, we want it to be two eyes kind of thing. So, you know, that's the whole story with the name. It's one of those things that you got to ask. Is there any, first of all, is there anything else you think people should know about eight chili before we move on? Yes, anyone who would contact us, you know, we would like to show them uh, a demo of how the concept looks and uh, we would be ready for deployments by October uh, and we would be very happy to like come over to like any location in the world, like, you know, where we could fly if there is no COVID restrictions or virtually also we could still show them the demo. And I, I suggest everyone to like at least get, get in touch with us to see the demos because it's, it's really going to change their perspective of surgical training and even remote collaboration. So how can people see the demo if they don't have a, a, a device? So can they see it if they have a, an, a quest or? Yeah, we could like, we, are, we can host, uh, we're actually hosting an app on the, uh, on the Oculus Quest store. So if they have a VR device, they could like really go and experience it. Great. Yeah, so, you know, like, like we're trying to do it a closed demo rather than like hosting it, but, but we are happy to like do that so that if customers want to experience what it feels like being in a 3D environment, then we're very happy to set it up for them. So I had to warn people, if you're squeamish, am I going to be looking into people's innards? Uh, yes, it, uh, the demo will be, uh, mostly we will do it with a phantom so that they don't get like that freaky about it. Uh, so we have a phantom that we've ordered from Amazon. It's a skull. If they are able to like see a skull, I mean, like, you know, they should be okay. But, uh, real surgeries, yes, there's a lot of blood. People get dizzy, nausea and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I think this is also a great way for, for young people to try early on. Maybe this is a good way to, to get young people excited about medicine and other alternatively, people that thought they were excited about medicine when they tried this, maybe go, oh, okay, that's not for me. <laughs> I don't like that. So I think it's a great way to encourage uh, young people to explore uh, medicine as well and, and see the future of medicine in a way that uh, is fairly scalable. It's a super advice. I would say I'll take that up uh, as one of the things that we would like to do. Uh, because I had not thought of that, like, you know, like, like inspiring the the next generation to like become surgeons. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think it's a very good space to like look at, uh, maybe make it a bit simpler so that they could still experience the, the 3D perspective and, and feel that this is a career to explore. It's a good space. Thanks, Alan. This is one of the things that VR and AR do really well is that giving people the ability to to try a career before they commit their entire lives to it. One of my friends uh, has a company called uh, Career Labs. And what they do is they create VR experiences, but they're short. They're maybe 15 minutes and you get to try uh, driving an excavator or you get to try driving a dump truck or you get to try driving a mining vehicle. And so you, you get to try these different things. And mostly his is in trades, but imagine having that and then other people can try surgery. Or imagine having an entire collection of things that students could try viscerally, you know, get in there in VR mm -hmm. and try experience because we do need people in trades. We do need people to go into surgery. We need people to, to go into these and how do you inspire people? What, what better way than to put them into the experience? And I think this is a really wonderful thing that you guys have created. And there's a whole other market just inspiring the next generation. So absolutely. One of the use cases that we're working also is remote collaboration really helps you space and, and defense, right? So Imagine like, let's say, you know, you are sending someone to space and if there is a complication, like, you know, it's so difficult, like to perform, like, let's say you can only do first aid, but there can be times, you know, when a, a small intervention is definitely important and saves lives. So we could use our technology and, and that's what we are trying to work on, to, like make it more easy for uh, someone on the, on the side of doing the surgery. I would love to see how you guys figure out how to overcome the two second latency between something done on earth and between the time it happens on the moon there's a two second round trip latency two seconds two thousand milliseconds i know so so right right now our latency like you know like, like what we are we would, rather than recreating the entire scene with textures and all of those things you know the point cloud uh, so what we do is we take the complete point cloud and, and transfer that in point cloud over edge protocols and that allows us to like really keep the rgbd data as well well, that data is easy. It's when you when you lay textures over that it gets really complicated. So you guys are doing the right thing. Absolutely. A lot of people in 3D are missing that. That if you if you have 3D objects, you can first of all you can depolygonate. You can take out a lot of the polygons, make them smaller by simple compression. Yeah. But if you if you don't layer them with textures, mm -hmm. they end up becoming easy to deal with. It's, it's when you lay on textures and transparencies, then it gets really complicated, and that's when your devices start to bog down a bit. So yeah. I think you guys are doing it right, right there. Yeah, rigging, rigging and meshing takes a lot of time and effort. So even if you move these th these processes to CUDA, it will still give us a delay. So you know, like, like we chose to directly work only with the point cloud, and uh, our our patent is basically about like taking the point cloud and making it look realistic as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's all about a, kind of a bit of trickery, a little magic. It is. It is. <laughs> Ervin, here's, here's my final question. 
what is the one problem in the world that you would like to see solved using XR technologies? I would like a general practitioner or like someone with like general surgery experience to be able to perform a surgery with collaboration from experts anywhere in the world and deliver that surgical care irrespective of the location. Tire three cities, tire two cities. We want everyone to get that care. Uh, we want it to be democratic and universal. So that's the that's the problem that we want to like really solve. Well, that sounds like a pretty damn good problem to solve, my friend. And I wish you all the best with that. Thank you, Adam. And 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 we look forward to like keeping you posted as and when we move closer to our vision. I'm looking forward to it. And and for those of you listening, you can subscribe to this channel so you don't miss any of it. It's uh, xrforbusiness.io. You can subscribe on all of the channels. And I want to say, Erevind, thank you so, so much. Erevind Apadya uh, from 8Chili. You can find them at 8chili.com. And thank you so much for listening to the XR for Business podcast with your host, myself, Alan Smithson. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, Erevind. Thanks, Alan.